Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. What's going on people? Welcome to the post-game number crunch. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting, creator of the Hows and Growls Timberwolves newsletter, and this podcast is proudly brought to you by Canis Hoopus and SB Nation. Hows and Growls monthly subscriptions are down to just $2.50 a month throughout the rest of this run into the playoffs, and hopefully, the actual playoff run. So click that link in the show notes to head over to howsandgrowls.substack.com Support the program, support the podcast, help me out, it really does mean a lot. I was busy dealing with some weekend commitments after the Lakers game, but since Minnesota were on this back-to-back, I thought it would kind of be a little bit more prudent to just combine these two post-game shows into one show and hope and pray that the Jekyll and Hyde Timberwolves gave me some semblance of consistency in talking points and in performance. And that's exactly what I got, surprisingly. They knocked off the Lakers 110-102 to in a game that was probably closer than it had any right to be. I mean, Minnesota kind of annihilated LA in every statistical category, but failed to put them away until the closing moments of the game. Stop me if you've heard that one before. But then they backed it up with what was really does feel like the most important win of the season. I've said that probably 15 times already in this podcast, but it really did feel like that. They went over to Sacramento, they ended this four-game road trip, and they came away with a 138-134 victory over the scorching hot Sacramento Kings. And man, this team is just impossible to get a read on. It's been that way all season. One minute we're all launching the toys out of the stroller and the next minute we're shouting their praises from the highest rooftops that we can find. Again, it's been like that all season long and it's it's certainly still like that right now. But it sure does feel good to be back on the rooftops and back shouting and back in this part of the timble of cycle. Now, There were certainly a bunch of storylines that I could have focused on in these two games, a bunch of talking points swirling around the two outings, Anthony Edwards bouncing back from that tough stretch of games to have a pretty big night in Sacramento, Rudy Gobert finding a consistent degree of dominance, to be honest, for maybe as long of a stretch as he has all season of late. Jade McDaniels just being Jade McDaniels, all of those things probably deserve their own podcast topic. And don't don't even get me started on Nikhil Alexander-Walker. We're building up to that podcast, surely. He was great in this game against Sacramento. Great in the game before that. Great in the game before that. He's just been great since he got here. But even aside from those guys, the thing that flowed through both of these games the best was Mike Conley 
He was that talking point that made combining these two games into one podcast possible. So let's just start with a simple number to anchor his two-game brilliance, and that's 19. As in the 19 points Conley has averaged over this road back-to-back against the Lakers and the Kings. Let's branch out a little bit further on that number after a quick break. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So the 19 points is great. I mean, it really is great. I don't want that to sound facetious because it's pretty obvious this team wouldn't have been able to snag either of these wins if Conley had not been able to score 38 points over the course of these two games. But as has always been the case with Mike Conley, the scoring and the impact is more than just that big, shiny number in the points column of the box score. I think, I mean, we can see the intangible stuff, the stuff that doesn't show up in the box score, the calmness in the clutch when handling the ball and getting into actions, the off-ball defense that he played on Malik Beasley and Kevin Herter in both games, which those two are two of the best movement shooters and kind of off-ball relocators that there are in today's NBA. There's the ability to sniff out loose balls and box out for rebounds among the tall timber in the paint. All of those little intangible things that don't show up on a regular box store. Mike Conley does them, and Mike Conley has been doing them, especially in these last two games. That's all stuff that can't be fully quantified in a number or a metric. But there are things within the actual points per game number that can. And you, I think you have to begin with the three-point shooting. Over these two games, he's averaged seven three-point attempts per game and knocked down 42.9% of those looks. We've spoken about this on this podcast before, but there's been a pretty big shooting hole in the roster since D'Lo left. And that hole has forced the team in general to kind of devolve into an Anthony Edwards-centric offense in which he's been checked by two players and forced to play purely as a creator for huge chunks of games. And that just plays into the hands of whatever opposition is forcing Anthony Edwards to not be the dominant scoring force that we know he can be. I think you saw saw it in this last game against the Kings, especially how Conley's ability to knock down those shots, especially from the weak side where Ant was kind of coming off a pick and roll and he would skip the pass over to the other side of the floor or they'd kind of swing it around the perimeter and it'd end up in Conley's hands and he'd make a shot. And that kind of thing leads to Ant burying a free throw line jumper to ice the game or getting all the way to the rim for an and one with a minute left to keep Minnesota from 
blowing another big lead. That freedom that he found himself in this Sacramento Kings game was born out of the fact that Conley has been hitting shots, making big plays with the ball in his hands, and needs to be accounted for, just like D'Angelo Russell needed to be accounted for, and that gave Anthony Edwards space as well. But not only is Conley kind of helping shoulder some of the burden from Ant by simply dragging a player away from him, but he's lumping that scoring burden on himself as well, just by simply being a very, very good player with or without the ball when those whips are cracking in the fourth quarter. Again, over this two-game stretch, Conley has scored 7.5 points per game in the fourth quarter. The highest number on the Timberwolves, the next highest is Rudy Gobert with 5.5, Nas Reed with 5 points per game in the fourth, and then Edwards with 4 points per game in the fourth. Just like the shooting, it felt like the Wolves would be missing a gutsy closing presence without D'Lo there. And just like the shooting, it seems Conley has taken it upon himself to provide that fourth quarter outlet. He doesn't do it like D'Lo. We, we know that. We've seen both of these players play. He isn't going to run isos and get into the mid-range to knock down jumpers. He isn't going to shoot kind of pull up threes a lot of the time in isolation or coming down the court with a quick fire three-point shot in transition. Conley does it by picking apart pick and roll coverages with his floater game. He can knock down those threes off the dribble as he comes off a pick and roll with, with the defense going under the screen. Or he gets those threes as a spacer in the corner or in the wing slot coming off passes from Ant or from Rudy in handoff actions or from Kyle Anderson, who can penetrate the, the paint and then kick out to shooters. And I, th- I think this is the most important thing because we've just seen turnovers kill the Minnesota Timberwolves in fourth quarters and in whole games this season, is that Conley did not record, record a turnover in either of these past two fourth quarters. In fact, he only recorded one turnover in both full games combined. If you want the manifestation of a calming veteran presence who doesn't do things to harm his team, then that's the number right there. Ant is volatile, and he is electric, and he's a genuine X-factor, and that's the way we love Anthony Edwards to be. But having that super steady hand alongside him is just really starting to feel so perfect. Conley doesn't throw wild passes, He doesn't try to break down set defenses on his own. He never extends his reach. He just kind of does what he does. He marshals the troops in a very serene kind of way, a very very veteran kind of way. And sometimes that's just exactly what this team needs. Don't get me wrong. Other times they could do with D'Lo's explosion and his own brand of volatility. But in the case of these two games, Conley's version of clutch was exactly what was needed. I mean, look at the two opponents and how these games were unfolding in the fourth quarter. The Lakers were wounded, but they were desperate. They had Anthony Davis going off, who had a lot of helps from the refs as well in that game and was really putting pressure on the referees to make calls. And the Lakers were streaming to the finish line in front of their raucous home crowd. So Conley nails a three, and then he nails a floater, and he puts them to bed and slams another nail in Los Angeles' season's coffin. And then you have the Kings. Supremely confident, 
possessing the best clutch player in the league this season in De'Aaron Fox, and kind of reeking of a team that knows they can win any game from any situation. And what did they get? 10 points from Conley, two threes and four free throws, including the clinches in the closing seconds. It's just a very different version of clutch. It's more muted, but maybe just as effective. More calm and controlled and maybe more bankable alongside volatile figures like Ant and Gobert. And Carl Anthony Towns, when he returns, is also very volatile in the clutch and very volatile in general. It's just been fun to watch that Conley presence and Conley impact start to blossom pretty quickly from when he got here. And he's helped get these weird Wolves back to two games above 500 and certainly back in the race for the sixth seed again. But this road trip is now over. The big games will not be over. They will keep coming. Next up is the Philadelphia 76ers, and that's a test that's even bigger than the Kings. I'll be here to discuss that game. I hope you will be too.